GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. Don't get caught in the hype cycle. I'm Jay Bird, joined by my co-host Kyle Reedhead, and we believe that on-chain block explorers are going to change the world. That's why we're carving a path for doers to confidently build and invest in Web3. You know what, Jay? I think you're pushing on that one. I don't know that block explorers are changing the world, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I was pushing But I will say they're pretty freaking sweet. And so we have the founder of Zapper who's, who's on the show today. And we're talking all things on chain, which I think is really cool and interesting. Zapper is a tool that I used way back in the day when they first launched. And it was kind of an eye-opener to me to really like see, like to visualize what was happening on chain. At that point, it was mainly just like my portfolio. But now if you look at Zapper, you can visualize a lot of things. There's a news feed. It's, it's almost turning to like a social media platform, which we talk about a lot in this episode. Mm-hmm. So I've been watching kind of the journey of Zapper for, for many years. And it, it gave me my first aha moment of looking on chain. And it's interesting that, you know, years later now we have a, a, an analysis service uh, with Web3 Academy Pro where that's what we do is eyes on chain. But Zapper is just bringing it in a, in a totally different way. And I think that's the thing I like about this conversation with Zeb is, you know, he's thinking very far out there, very meta about the space. And he's thinking far, far ahead on where the space is going and trying to bring the on-chain world to, to life for us all to visualize and see. And so that was really the base of this conversation and, and really interesting in my opinion. Yeah, I think Seb brings his financial, his TradFi experience, which is really where he started his career, worked at some big banks. And then he went into sort of early Web3, worked at ShakePay, which is one of the largest centralized exchanges in Canada. He worked at Small, which is a sort of a degen NFT game community. And then thing. he founded Zapper. Yeah, Thing. I don't even know. You know, uh, it's a game. It's They're buzzard, building a buzzard, game. Buzzard. But, yeah, Metaverse, you know. So Seb brings like that TradFi experience, but then he's also like a pure Web3 native degen. And so he is really constantly, as a founder, trying not to get stuck in the, okay, let's just build what exists in Web2. He is trying constantly to think about, okay, what do we build that is something new that's different that doesn't even exist yet, which is like, as a founder, to have a vision for that is so difficult, which is why Seb just spends all this time on chain and allows the users to tell him where things are headed. And he talks about how they manage that as a team strategically through from the origin story of Zapper, which is fascinating from its initial use case to what it is today. And then we lead into this conversation of on-chain social and on-chain literacy and what is a block explorer and the future of block explorers. Just a fascinating conversation. And one that, you know, really, I think opens your eyes to like, not where we are necessarily right now, but where we will be in the future. And so maybe at the end of this episode, you'll also be along with Jay and thinking that blockchain explorers are going to change the world. Who knows? But (laughs) you can be the judge of that as you listen to this episode. But before you listen to this episode, we've got to take a quick second to wait. But before we do this, hang on. I got a quick announcement, Kai. It's Web3 Academy 2.0. We're in week two right now. We're in week two of Web3 Academy 2.0. If you don't know what Web3 Academy 2.0 is, you're missing out. Make sure you go to our Twitter where you're going to be able to see what is going on. This is a multi-week roadmap where we are launching our new brand and we're moving our business and our content on chain. And there is an opportunity every week to collect and to participate. And if you do that, 
there might be some things coming to you at the end. Week two is all about something is happening on Lens. So you're going to want to see what is happening on Lens. We are launching our new, basically, we got fished. We lost our Lens handle and our new Lens handle is now live and you can go and interact and collect. And if you do that, as I said, some things might be coming your way at the end. So don't miss out on the second week of the roadmap and please participate all the way through. With that, let's hear from our sponsors before we jump into the show. The future of social media is here and that future lives in Web3 on top of Lens Protocol. Web2 social platforms are broken and ripe for disruption. You see, the epicenter of social media is the creators and yet they are the most neglected. Web2 platforms like Facebook, TikTok and Instagram are all essentially robbing creators of their worth. Creators are a new type of entrepreneur, forming new types of businesses. Yet with Web2 platforms, creators don't own their content or the profiles, and that's their product and business. Instead, they are tied to the platforms they choose to create on. Well, just like how crypto is freeing us from banks, Web3 is freeing us from these centralized platforms. On Lens Protocol, creators own their content, own their profile, and even their social graph and followers in the form of NFTs. This allows you to move freely from one social application to another with your content, profile, and followers moving along with you. Lens Protocol enables self-sovereignty for your social graph and interoperability across the internet. At Web3 Academy, we believe this is the future of social, and that's why we've partnered with Lens to ensure that the path of social media is heading in the right direction. Visit lens.xyz to learn more today. Did you know that Web3 users lose billions of dollars every year due to phishing attacks? If you've been in the space long enough, then you or someone you know has probably fallen victim to one of these scams. This is why we've partnered with WAG, your guardian in this digital wilderness. WAG is a tool designed to help you spot the difference between malicious links and legit ones. With WAG, you can rest easy knowing that every link you click on is safe. This is an absolute game changer for Web3. As part of our partnership with WAG, we'll be using their platform to create verifiable links so that our community feels safe, knowing that what they're clicking on is the real deal. And if you don't have a community to protect and you're just looking to protect yourself, WAG has you covered with safe stops, which tell you exactly who created the link you're clicking on. Head to the link in the description, click it, see that it's verified by Web3 Academy, and start protecting yourself today. Just use the code FREE1000 when signing up, and if you're among the first 1,000 users, you'll get free access for life. Seb, what's up? Welcome to the Web3 Academy podcast. Stoked to have you here today. Thank you. I, I'm pretty excited. Thank you for having me. Today's the, the All Canada show. We got three <laughs> Canadian DGENs all on the show. Kai and I, I mean, obviously are always repping Canada, but it's always nice to have a fellow builder and founder from Canada, from Montreal, French-speaking part. What's the better city, Montreal or Toronto? Oh, in Whistler, the- man. Whistler. Whistler. <laughs> <laughs> in the winter, I'd say Toronto, although they both kind of suck in the winter because Montreal is just like next level cold. Like Toronto's cold, but Montreal's even colder. But in the summer, I don't know. They're both they're both good cities. But you're right. Probably Whistler's better. I think I can agree to that. Whistler's <laughs> okay. definitely top Here tier. Here we go. We need a Web3 Whistler. It's just got such a ring to it. I can imagine like a logo, W3W. We run a conference out here. We get all the builders together. We're going to make it happen. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today, we are talking about Zapper. We're going to dive into, really going to start off with the origin story of how you built Zapper. But I'm going to give a little context. Zapper is today is 25 people on the team. They've raised $17.5 million. You've got over 200,000 monthly active users. One of the best apps in Web3 that I think 
a lot of us who are active in the space are using on a daily basis to really understand what's going on in our wallets and what's going on in other people's wallets. You guys are supporting 11 chains. So kudos to everything you've built over the last three or four years, I think, since you started Zapper Seb. But let's go back to the beginning. What was the origin story? How did you first, why did you first start Zapper? And I know that you started to solve a problem. What was that problem you were initially solving, Seb? It all started, so I onboarded in crypto or got converted, I'd say in 2017 with the discovery of ETH. I didn't even know there was another crypto uh, currency aside from Bitcoin. <laughs> and so learning that there was this other cryptocurrency that you can build stuff on top of really excited me. And it kind of completely changed my view on what it was. Like I, I knew what Bitcoin was, was and I heard about it before, but wasn't particularly interested in like the whole political and monetary aspect. I do think it's really interesting and important, but as a individual, it's not something that I'm passionate about. So when I discovered Ethereum, I kind of really couldn't stop thinking about it after. And in 2019, I was working at ShakePay, you know, one of the mm -hmm. first employees and helped build the mobile app. And while I was there, I was really kind of just diving into the Ethereum ecosystem and started hearing about this thing called DeFi. It's probably in mid 2019 that I really started researching and playing around with my MetaMask wallet and hopping into different protocols and investing in. At the time, you know, there's the main website that people would go to to kind of get their front page view of DeFi was DeFi Pulse. And it was a ranking of all the different DeFi protocols by total value locked. And honestly, at the time, there's probably like 10 protocols. The total value lock was maybe like 10 or 15 million. It was really like nothing. It was like maybe the VC's money that would help power like the early versions of these protocols. You know, I was kind of playing around with them and yeah, putting my, my money into the apps, the different apps. And the first kind of problem I stumbled with was how do I see my assets? Like, I know this is on a blockchain that's fully transparent, but I have to individually go to every website to be able to track my balances. And it was something that was like really annoying and honestly was pretty mild. If, if I even talk at that point to another, you know, on-chain user, DeFi user, it was a pretty mild problem. There's only 10 protocols. So mm -hmm. you had to be in all those 10 protocols or, you know, to really have that problem. And most people were using maybe one or two. And does it justify building an entire app to surface your balances in two apps when you can have a spreadsheet or something? Probably not. So it seemed very mild and not super important as a problem to solve. But to me, it was pretty important because I was spread out across a ton of different apps. And what's interesting is like I had startups before. And to me, it's always been about identifying a big problem, a market that is very small, but has very large potential. And back, back at, in those days, like to me, it was obvious that DeFi would be bigger. And so knowing that, you know, there's we're super early and DeFi would get bigger, there'd be more protocols, there'd be more dApps, there'd be more places where people can put their money. And to me, that like, gave me all like, the kind of confidence into building this and building like the first MVP. And so that's what I did like during the fall. And that was while I was still employed at ChickBay, I started building the MVP. And in early 2020, that's when I, I launched it. So maybe like a month later, like I didn't spend too much time. Basically my point was like, am I using it myself? Does it help me? And then mm -hmm. if yes, then why don't I just share it with other people? 
so that's what I did. So in January, shared it in the synthetics discord, Ave, I believe, and then began talking to people and, and seeing how much, how much of a thing that this, this was. And I think one thing that was really important at the time is finding an angle that you can help users with. And the first angle that I could sell Zapper through was there was a pool on Uniswap V1 that you could pull into and earn SNX rewards. So there was one area where you had this composability between two protocols, so Uniswap and Synthetix. And to me, that was the angle. It's like all these people on Synthetix that put their money in Uniswap and stake it, you know, it kind of disappears. And then you have these rewards on top. So being able to see those rewards accrue in real time, that was like the entire angle. And that's how I kind of leveraged it early on. And it worked. Uh, people started using it. And when I said it worked, it was like five people. <laughs> and that, that's enough. Like, honestly, that is enough. Like if those five people come back every day and use it, like that's the best yeah, thing that can happen. Yeah. Versus having like a thousand people on one day and then never using it again. Like mm -hmm. to me, that was the biggest thing. And yeah, I knew I hit a nerve and I had never experienced the feeling of being pulled like as if the market was pulling me instead of me pushing the market for something to happen. And that's like the biggest kind of change that happened from my previous startups. It felt like I was always pushing and pushing and pushing and trying to force something into the market. Here was mm. like the market just pulling me. It's like people were suddenly asking me for new integrations, you know, this new protocol. And as they were popping, it was very kind of organic. What really helped us in the early days of DeFi was how like how composable DeFi is. Like users are not users of a specific protocol. They're users of multiple protocols because all these Legos are connected together. And so as you have these DeFi network effects kind of grow, so did the network effects on Zapper too, because, you know, all these integrations are all mm -hmm. kind of connected. And so it's kind of like this perfect storm brewing that we have the right product for the right market at the right time, right before like that big DeFi yield summer and everything. Well, I never expected been, to happen so quickly, but it did. <laughs> it must've been pretty cool for you to go. You, I mean, you said there was 10 apps at the time and you're like, but I think there's going to be a lot more. I mean, now that we speak, there's like, I don't know how many DeFi apps there are like hundreds, if not thousands at this point across many different chains. And so like you nailed that thesis, right? And that's not something that founders typically do. And so it must feel really good to be like, yeah, I had this idea. It was super early, like you said, small market at the time, but potential to grow bigger. You just went and built something and it worked for those 10 apps. But then your real thesis of like, this thing really only works out if we have thousands of apps, like that came true mm -hmm. over the next couple of years. Like that's got to feel pretty good, no? It did feel good. The fact that it was kind of obvious to me at the time didn't make it feel as good because I kind of knew it was going to happen. <laughs> right, right. And you'd be like, oh, I'm 80% sure. And oh yeah. yeah, I was right. That feels good. One thing in particular, and it's something that Sam Altman talked about in Y Combinator is look at the users and those like there's those early power users and you can extrapolate a lot of behavior in that market. And to me, like the early DeFi users were like addicted to DeFi to a point where they abandoned their entire traditional finance kind of life. Like they merged their life on chain. And even if it was like a very few amount of users, you could see it like play out. And through the behavior of those early users, you, you can see a lot of things where it's, you see it's not necessarily hype and you can kind of see these these growth areas and then m more people kind of getting the virus if i can 
phrase it that way. <laughs> yeah, the virus that spread so fast and, and DeFi did spread so fast and your timing was amazing. And I want to get later on in the show, if we have time, I'd love to talk about some founder advice of maybe touch on how do you set yourself up to find product market fit like you did some of his uh, for sure luck, but you mentioned mm-hmm. a few things. So we, we might touch on those later, but right now. Okay. So the first version of Zapper was this DeFi use case, right? As you said, you had this need, but then Zapper grew and changed into more of a general block explorer. So I want to talk now about what are the most popular use cases now on Zapper And then let's lead into a conversation of like understanding block explorers and what's happening on chain and where do you see that going in the future? Mm -hmm. Because we get so excited about, you know, it's so early, like it's so, so early. And so I'm actually curious, let me ask this question. Is there a comparable in web two of what a block explorer is? Like, I don't even think there's a comparable. Yeah. That's what's exciting is that there's no comparable, just like there was no comparable to Google or you had to kind of pull or like, you know, it's a library, but really is that like Google analytics is kind of the comparable in web two, sort of, sort of yeah, like for data. That's like the closest thing I can think of, but But that's for marketing exclusively, right? Like let's go on about some of the other Zapper use cases, but there is no comparable. There is no, (laughs) I think that's the point, right? Which is what you're building in such a new space. So, okay. Seb, tell us about the current use cases. Well, I can talk about kind of the transition into mm-hmm. like this DeFi portfolio tracker into the, the block explorer. Cause in the early days I was doing all the integrations and interpretation. And so I got to be like on chain or read the chain very early on and see what was there and see like what the fabric of the chain is. One area to me that kind of became more interesting is how all these categories all these boxes that we create don't really matter in the on-chain world. There's no concept of DeFi on-chain. There's no concept of a digital collectible like directly on-chain. We kind of build these abstractions or categories, but there's a lot of dApps that and assets that sit weirdly in the kind of overlap or in the in between, like NFTFi. One thing that was surprising while to me early on, like I was 100% in the web two mindset. This is like a mint.com that aggregates all your way, your bank accounts, and you have one place to track your portfolio and realized it was kind of like an anti-pattern to what blockchains are, because one of the number one things people did is there was a feature where you can manually add addresses and look at your portfolio. People were using it to watch other wallets. And it's not something you can do in Web2. You can't plug in mm. someone else's bank account and see what they're doing. And so almost like immediately people were using it for a more social angles, like looking at you know someone else's Facebook profile in a way, like looking at their account profile. And it became a lot about identity early on rather than personal portfolio tracking. And with time, a lot of people started investing in other different things aside from DeFi. And, you know, the DeFi user base kind of shifted. A lot of people started investing in NFTs. Some people were just never listening to NFTs, but like the variety of people started increasing. And the shift of Zapper became that you're, it's not actually a portfolio tracker. It's your profile page. That's how people use it. And we're surfacing your identity. And just so happened that our first use case was surfacing your 
portfolio tracker. But like the common thing across all that stuff, whether it's surfacing NFTs, DAOs, following people, looking at other accounts, it's all about making the blockchain readable. Like when you look at an address, what is the reputation? What are the NFTs? What is the history? What did that? What are the mistakes that accounted in the past? What are the good things it did? It all becomes about enabling people to read the blockchain in a more easier way. And then once that shift happened, it became like the path forward became much clearer because, you know, Zapper could branch out in two directions. And one being like the pro portfolio tracker for DeFi finance and the other one being a retail block explorer. And then I was like, well, okay, Hypothetically, what if we pursue like the pro DeFi portfolio tracker route? And then I started thinking about the different features that would go into there. And it'd be like, oh, you'd have taxes. So you have to have your transaction history, but that transaction history needs to be interpreted. And then you need to understand more about the different dApps you're a part of. You could have NFTs, you could have be a part of, you know. And so building that kind of, became also building a retail block explorer. And so that's why you'll see like, you know, even some of our competitors kind of realized this, like a portfolio tracker in Web3 inevitably becomes a block explorer because it, what it does is enabling to read the chain. And why would you gatekeep reading the chain to just your account if in one feature or one little setting, you can allow it to view others and view an NFT or view an asset. So the whole single player quickly kind of crumbled as we were thinking about Zapper long term. And so 200,000 people every month using Zapper, what percentage do you think are using it for the portfolio tracker versus what are the other buckets of main uses that people are using it for? Two main buckets, I'd say, and I'll say like 2.5. Number one is checking how you're doing. So how's my portfolio doing? Second one is more of like the discovery side. And the number one feature that people do on Zapper is actually not look at their own portfolios, look at other portfolios. Hmm. And so that's the side that's being increasing with time. And the other one is more of the user agnostic way of exploring. So, oh no, I guess it's pretty user driven, but everything related to the feed or the traffic or what's happening currently, that's another bucket that right now is still relatively small, but you know, we're working on different features, but the whole angle, like I'd say the two things is how am I doing? So enabling people to read their assets and their profile, and then being able to see other accounts. And what's interesting is you, I kind of, you know, was thinking about it. There's a lot of like interesting history repeats itself. And I saw a lot of like commonalities with Facebook early on where, you know, it's like you build your own photo album for yourself and you know you build i went to this university so you build up your identity and then you also look at other profiles there's no wall there's no all the, the other things and in a similar way right you know it doesn't repeat but rhymes there's a lot of this kind of happening currently too well and it makes sense because i think especially when you compare it to social like something like facebook because originally when it was just DeFi stuff you wouldn't really think of that as a social thing, right? You look at your portfolio, you look at someone else's portfolio and it kind of leaves it there. When NFTs came along and social tokens and all these other things that give you access to communities or like are just you buying a product, whether it be via an NFT or something else, but all these things can happen on chain. Now it becomes something social because these are all interactions that the way that I think of this, I love when you guys launched the feed. So for those listeners that haven't used Zapper, the feed is like, think of like your Facebook feed where you just like scroll and you can see or Twitter 
they've done that, but for blockchain. And so you can start to see the interactions that people are doing on chain, which now that we do a lot more on chain than just financial things, it kind of makes sense. Cause like when I think of what happens on social media today, you buy something, you generally then take a picture of it. Then you go share it on Twitter or on Instagram or whatever. What this is doing is it's just literally taking that transaction. It's showing the image of whatever the NFT is and um, automatically goes on the feed. And then I don't know if you guys are going to put like commenting and all that kind of stuff where it actually becomes a social thing around that transaction. But I think that is, is definitely where the space is going. And I'm assuming that's what you guys are thinking and seeing it as as well. Yeah, 100%. You know, there's two sides of like reading the blockchain. It was like the photograph aspect. Like what does it look like right now? What does my account look like? And mm-hmm. then there's all like the kind of traffic part of it where it's not necessarily of like what this building looks like if i take a city analogy and the blockchain is a city it's not necessarily what this building looks like it's what's the traffic around this building or this restaurant looks like how many people are going in going out who's going in who's going out that i think is is really interesting taking your example of like web 2 one thing that excites me about blockchains and transparency is we've kind of lost the concept of tangibleness and permanence of the traditional web. When you know I'm scrolling through Twitter, I get kind of uneasy when I scroll. I refresh my my Twitter and I get a whole bunch of other posts. It's like, what am I actually getting? And right now we have this hyper-generative, super-personalized you know, feeds that we're presented with. And so it's a bit like everyone has their own personalized city. And so you lose that sense of reality. Like, what is actually happening? What is the actual truth? Everyone has a different truth. Whereas the blockchain, you have this one foundation that everyone can look at. To any observer, it looks the same. Just like how when you walk down in downtown Toronto, you don't see something fundamentally different than I do. But when we translate those experiences to Facebook and Twitter, I have a whole different experience of crypto Twitter than probably you do. Mm-hmm. Like you see different things. That is kind of scary because we haven't parted that sense of permanence and tangible kind of reality into the digital world. And I, I think like blockchain, blockchains bring that back. And so it brings more of like that city like feel where you have this feeling of being in a town center and walking, you know, in downtown Toronto and meeting people and see what they do versus being in your own echo chamber and not actually being able to tether that or anchor it to something else. When you see yourself or when you see Zapper now on what it is, it used to be this thing that would just kind of track portfolios. You thought maybe we'd do kind of the pro trading type portfolio management service. Instead, you've almost gone this like social route. Do you see your competition in the future, like social media companies? If I'm thinking future five years down the road, 10 years down the road, as everything goes on chain, is Zapper trying to be a social media platform essentially, or where do you guys see it going? I'd say like yes and no. No in the sense that it probably looks drastically different than what okay. we expect of social media. Yes, in the sense that like Ethereum is a social network. It's people yeah. doing things mm-hmm. and coordinating around different things. And so if you make the blockchain readable to everyone, you kind of make those things or make the intrinsic attributes of Ethereum more obvious, like more out there transparency is more obvious because now it's readable. You literally see what other people are doing. You understand transparency. You aren't told that it's transparent. And so you make these things obvious. You make the people that are doing things obvious. And so to me, it does become a social network just because Ethereum is a social network. Right. right. But I could see it even becoming a 
network of content like we are used to today. Because for example, we're starting to use a newsletter service that puts everything on chain, right? Like think of things like Paragraph and Mirror. You have things like Lens, which is all your social content is now on chain. You have podcasts, NFTs everywhere now is becoming a thing. So it's like all of our content looks like anyway is trending towards all going on chain, but we have to go in a different platform to see all that content. Whereas, and again, I don't know if Zapper does this yet or will, eventually it could all aggregate into our Zapper feed. And now all of a sudden you're scrolling in your Zapper feed and you see an NFT article, you see a podcast, you see a post from Lens, you see, you know, whatever. And so like, I could see it starting to morph into a social media like feed for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if it looks like a social media like feed, but definitely along those lines where there's a sense of there's things happening on, on chain. Mm -hmm. And then there's like discussion about those things that happen on chain. Like one, right. one of the things that I see and I think about, you know, when I think about like our, our vision long-term and like what our product looks like is how do people hack products to serve a purpose that they weren't like intended specifically for. And one of them is like people use Twitter or, you know, crypto Twitter as this town center to talk about things happening on chain. They push ether scan links, mm -hmm. open sea sales, NFT sales to gather. There's this city of things happening. And then we push what happened to a place where we can gather and talk about it. And so I don't know if long-term it looks like a traditional social media feed or it looks more like a, you know, what you'd expect in a city where you kind of gather in a more kind of, I don't want to say like permanent way, but there's this sense of, of, of tangibleness versus kind of personalization. What's so interesting is most of what we have brought on chain is financial assets. So mm -hmm. most of the activity that we are interested in looking at on chain and also a result of who's in the space right now, everyone in the space is an investor by default, basically, even if you're not trying to be. So what that means is what you're interested in is like, okay, you're interested in what are people buying? What are they selling? Right. And that's where everybody, if we were in a town center, we'd all be gathering around a store, basically. Hey, this store is really hot right now, or this store is really hot. Right. What is going to happen is so like, that's just a financial economy that's been brought on chain. What is going to happen is the attention economy is also going to be brought on chain. And that will happen through social media. And as we'll be able to start to see, okay, maybe it's not what people are buying and selling, but we can see where is the attention currently. And we'll be able to start to see, okay, everybody's attention is on this podcast or this newsletter or this movie or this piece of content because they're all engaging with it on chain, right? So we're going to start to be able to, as you said, Seb, I love the analogy of a town center. And the way a town center flows is it's not just monetary and buying and purchases. It's also where is our attention going? It's also where are we spending our time? Are we going to this bar? Are we doing this activity. If all of our tickets are on chain of going to a mm -hmm. concert, well, then we're going to start to be able to see, oh, wow, here's all the people that went to that concert. So it is very difficult to think about what does that look like from a social perspective? Like, how do you bring that all into a social world? It does feel it's not something that exists right now. It's something mm -hmm. totally new so what do you guys do do you guys go do mushrooms in the woods once a year and like try to figure <laughs> out like something that we don't know like I i'm really curious like strategically yeah. how do you plan for something that does not exist yeah there's so much to unbundle there i'll start first and perhaps this is a contrarian opinion but to me everything is a financial asset 
we're trending towards hyper financialization. And I think it's just not in the way we expect it. I think finance tend to associate too much of tr what traditional finance is. But to me, what finance is, it's the language of value and risk. And that's something that's intrinsic to everyone. Everyone can talk that language. A kid can, you know, trade complex derivatives on Pokemon cards without even realizing it. I mean, it's our way that we broadcast value and speculate. And we speculate because there's part, you know, we want to see things in the future. And so we speculate about things that we want to bring in the future. To me, that's, that's something that like, blockchains enable like in the, in the sense that speculation has a bad rap in the sense that often it's associated with you know these flipping and but i think like there's like long-term speculation where you can align people with a, a similar you know say for example I'm, I'm very passionate about ai art i like to speculate on it because i think long term it should be important and i think it will be important and so i can find other people and so my actions on chain represent me broadcasting value to the world that I think this is something that's important. And I think that's something we'll see more of. And so what are the shapes that that can take? I think it can take like multiple shapes. But, you know, one, one part too is the stock market is exactly a mechanism to allow people to speculate about what they want to see and what they believe should exist in the future, whether that's, you know, that being through companies, humans coordinating to accomplish a specific goal, right? And so the stock market is a way for us to publicly express as humans what we want to see and what we think is going to happen in the future. I think that's an important mechanism that we'll see translate in the blockchain world. And what's really empowering is that now more people are will be able to broadcast and their value and what they think and what's important versus it being gatekept by most of the population can't even participate. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's like, it's a moment where I want to take, you know, some of these analogies where you have like the printing press or like, you know, the internet, they democratize an important aspect of like of humans that are, that is in it. And to me, like, this is like enabling everyone to be able to speculate freely and, and talk about what they, the value they want to broadcast in the world and see in the world and, and be able to coordinate around that. And to me, that's really interesting because now anyone can become a tastemaker and, nfts or bring up a movement when they find other people on chain through that versus before like the art sector is super gatekept like a few people could dictate what art is important or isn't and the same thing applies to you know the stock market as well or like the tech industry like you know what's important can flip on a dime depending on what some powerful people or vcs decide and so enabling that like people to onboard the on-chain economy is important so Circling back to your question, I think that's like the social angle. Like to me, that's like the foundation. And so how is, how can we express that via Zapper where people can find these things that matter to them and what they want to invest in and what they want to speculate on, what they want to see in the future? Like to, to me, that's the, the, the important part because if you take the example of say generative art, like it started as a small community of very passionate people that came through on chain and speculation helped bring it into the kind of like public right like i remember seeing a chart on generative art and you can see it coincide perfectly with nfts which i think shows the power of like a small group of people to move an entire market because mm -hmm. they're able to broadcast that value and that value can now be captured and so that's where i think there's like a part of finance that is actually important if you think about it through the base or fundamental layer of how we communicate, you know, value and risk. Well, and I think like one example that comes up for me is 
this show is going to come out a week from when we're recording. The, earlier this week, OpiPen, which is a popular NFT project using generative art, released an open mint for, I think it was 0.001 ETH to support ThreadGuy, a popular persona in crypto Twitter. And over 48,000 people have minted that, raising about $90,000 that's going towards ThreadGuy, basically saying, hey, this guy's a big part of our culture. He deserves some money. He's a creator. Let's all support him, right? That wouldn't have been possible before. And that's a, a great example of what you're talking about, a signal of people coordinating around, hey, we believe in this. We all want to support this. And because of crypto, we can do it in a micropayment way where we can each just give like $2 basically. Mm -hmm. And 50,000 of us can come together in like a few days and raise almost $100,000. None of that is possible in Web2 or the physical world. Yeah, 100%. You've talked before in how you rode DeFi summer and the network effects of being early in something that grew so fast. I'm curious, where do you see, using a Canadian analogy of where's the puck going? Let's talk <laughs> hockey for a second. I know you focused on bringing DAOs into Zapper. And so you made it a, a way that people could see what activity is happening within DAOs and what activity is happening within NFTs. What's next? What is your, if you look into your crystal ball, what are you guys focused on as the next thing that you think will be big on chain or be brought on chain that you want to make sure people can discover mm -hmm. and explore through Zapper? The answer is pretty simple is we don't know. And we expressly like built it around not knowing. So we don't have to guess what it is. Mm -hmm. And so we've built Zapper to be an interpretation engine in the sense that it could support any new industry or new thing in the future because now we've built our tech to be able to interpret versus being, oh, now there's DeFi. And so now we need to, you know, top down. Now we need to integrate all the things in DeFi. Oh, there's NFTs. Now we need to interpret all the things in NFTs. We switch our strategy to be bottom up versus top down. And so it's like, you think of, there's information on chain, data on chain. And so we pull it and then we allow users to interpret it to fit whatever use case will exist in the future. And, that's been an entire strategy because it's we'll take more bad guesses than as anyone else on, on that topic. Like we, we don't know. And we've built it expressly for not knowing. But the thing that we do know is there's data on chain that represents these use cases and that can be interpreted. What about in terms of your journey of, you know, back in 2021, let's say a bunch of other chains became popular. And so a lot of app strategies were let's go multi-chain and you had things like uniswap and ave that were like we're going to just go on every single app or sorry every single chain you guys did the same you're at like 11 chains now i think what are you guys thinking through on that one are you guys still trying to go to additional chains are you consolidating somewhere or like what's your thought process on that we've decided to consolidate around a smaller number of chains and having really good coverage over those chains versus offering the most chains possible there's a few, like a few reasons for it. One is, you know, there's trade-offs in everything. If we had a magic wand, we'd have all the chains in the world. But one of the main reasons is that there's clusters of users and some of these clusters don't overlap very much where optimism user is, for example, very likely to also be an Ethereum user, right? Or be on mainnet and be active or have something on Arbitrum and Polygon. And so like those four networks 
it's a bit of like the same people. And so it's like, there's New York and then there's like all the New York boroughs. <laughs> and then you have other chains. Like I, I'd say like BSC doesn't have that much overlap with Ethereum. It does have, but not quite as big as Ethereum and its L2s. And I mean, it's quite obvious because when it's Ethereum L2s, but yeah. that's kind of shifted our strategy is like, let's focus on those user clusters. Cause after that, every new chain that we add, well, one, there's a cost, and it's also like, if we add a new chain, it's like, are we going to add the feed for that chain? Are we going to index NFTs for that chain? Are we going to integrate all the DeFi apps for that chain? And so if those benefits are incremental, like it's hard to argue that it's not good to add any other chain. It's obviously good. But once you, you look at like the incremental benefits, it does, that equation kind of falls apart. And so we decide to really focus first on those networks and figure out a, a strategy that could help us scale to a bunch of networks after well and you probably want to start on the ones that have network effects already like something like ethereum and like you said the additional chains that have now come along with it i guess another question that is obviously l2s are the kind of hot thing at the moment and they are launching like crazy like i think over the last two weeks there's probably been like five new l2s that have launched with mantle and aura and base and i don't even know there's been so many and now there's about to be like l2 as a service with like what the op stack has done and arb has done so there, I mean, a lot of people are saying there's going to be thousands or millions of L2s in the future. How do you guys solve that one? Because I don't think a lot of activity is going to happen on Ethereum L1 in the future, right? I think it's, it's quite obvious at this point that the goal of Ethereum is to move users to these L2s. Mm -hmm. But if there's tons of L2s, because we have app chains and we have general ones, like you guys are just going to integrate every L2 that comes in and try to find a way to index that? Or how's that going to work? Yeah, well... The way I, I kind of see it is the moment you make something like permissionless, you're going to have like a, a shit ton of those things. Say, for example, tokens on Ethereum. Not everyone can create a token. You're going to have a ridiculous amount of them. And I see that's going to play out with L2s. There's going right. to be so many L2s that it's going to be impossible to keep up with. And it's, it's a good thing. A lot of them won't have any activity, but some of them like... Well, it'll be kind of like a Pareto's distribution or ish in the sense of how in terms of activity so that kind of helps us like prioritize the other thing is i think there's a point where there's going to be zapper the main hub and let's go so it's going to make ethereum and its main l2s readable and perhaps in the future we allow people to play other hubs like a, a zapper but specifically for and we don't need to like the the costs are offset to whatever you know the people that want to run it do but it's kind of like a you know a key in hand I wouldn't say like a white label service, probably a bit like what Etherscan does, but that's a potential way of scaling it and then mm -hmm. building in those network effects for interpretation and all that stuff. What an interesting day-to-day -day you must have. The space evolves so fast and you're trying to keep up. I think you nailed it when you said earlier that you don't know where the future is. So rather than trying to guess, you have planned for not knowing by being and building in that way that allows you to, you know, be like water and flow in whatever mm -hmm. direction the use cases come up. When we talk about not knowing, I think another thing that always comes up for us at Web3 Academy is on-chain literacy and just understanding what it means to be an on-chain user, what it means to interact with all these things on-chain and the, the path that one must take right now to just be part of Web3 and participate. The analogy that I've often used 
is it's like you have to be a car mechanic right now to understand Web3. You got to understand what's underneath the hood. You can't just mm-hmm. be driving the car. The car's not quite there yet. If you wanted mm-hmm. to drive the car, you'd get fucked by some bridge. You'd lose some money here or there. You might get fished. Like, you know, things would go wrong. So you need to be a bit of a mechanic right now. I'm curious for you, what do you think about in terms of on-chain literacy? Is there something you wish everybody understood more? Is there things that you're doing at Zapper that you think will lead in the direction of helping people be more literate on-chain? Or are we all just screwed where it's just going to be a bunch of us, like almost like our parents, watching our parents use, like my parents are actually just here because I have a newborn and watching my mom use an iPhone. Why does she tap the touch screen as if it's like like ramming the screen? I'm like, it's, it's sensitive, mom. You don't need to, you know, is that, are we just stuck in that world forever? Yeah. Well, it's a pretty good analogy because a lot of how we experience Web3 is through our expectations and our built-in behavior from web two and web one. Like, and sometimes that doesn't align at all, right? I've had so many users early on using Zapper that were like, how do I send money from MetaMask to Zapper? And that like, as a behavior, it's something you'd expect in web two. You bounce money from a website to another, or you, you have your Facebook things and you have your YouTube things. There's no concept of a shared entity between mm-hmm. all of those. And so uh, to me, it's kind of like the same thing where previously you'd expect to press a button for an interaction to pop versus now it's like, well, you gently tap. The technology is completely different, yet our behavior and our expectation out of technology is still based on a lot of what we're used to. And I think one thing about on-chain literacy is how does that behavior shift? Right. I think people that come directly in the on-chain world will have a tremendous advantage because they'll be kind of like born in this. This will be like their default. And so just thinking about like uh, through the entrepreneur lens, like I'm excited for like all these new people coming in and then actually totally destroying us with all their creativity and innovation because they were brought into that world. Kind of like with the, all these Zuckerbergs and young people that built up the, you know, the web two world. And so I think like on-chain literacy is, is really about, you know, when you send an email, it's understanding how the email protocol works without needing to understand how it works, like from a technical perspective, like there's CC and all this stuff. And then there's all this behaviors of things you should do or shouldn't do. Just like online, we have this kind of blueprint in our, in our mind of what are bad things to do and what are good things to do. Like we built in behaviors to not like download a virus or be able to recognize things that look, you know, uh, shady. And we don't have that at all in Web3. A lot of people get scammed. You know, we have so many issues that kind of went through with Web2 too, with all the viruses and cookie stuff we're seeing here because people don't have those behaviors and, and native things that align it closer to what the tech, tech actually is. And so I think there's a few things that can help. One is time, but don't tell any builder have to wait because that's never going to go well. The second thing is abstracting it, but not hiding it. And so the, the worst thing you could do is abstract it to a level where it looks like a Web2 app, like BlockFi, all the stuff where it's DeFi stuff in the back, but actually a user doesn't understand that. And so you have so many issues when you fit two different technologies and try to retrofit one into the other. 
and the user will never understand or you know be able to to, to get it and then the, the part is like how you abstract it and you know a pattern we've seen in technology is then via skeuomorphism like if you look at all the, the icons you have on your mac or iphone a lot of them are very skeuomorphic to represent what the intent of the technology or what the technology does is like uh, your trash can or your mailbox or your library this help us understand and relate to the technology behind and so in the context of blockchains is how can we abstract and not hide what blockchains are so if a blockchain is a city how do you express that through your experiences uh, how do you make it that it feels like a city not necessarily like it looks like a city, but it, your experiences feel like it. So you can then map out better behaviors, better interactions in the future. Just like transparency, for example, telling people that uh, blockchain is transparent is not enough. They need to feel it through their interactions because then that informs a ton of behaviors like identity. If people knew how transparent a blockchain is, perhaps they'd take a widely, wildly different decision about what they put on chain or the identity they decide to take. Maybe they don't have their first name, last name in their, their ENS. And so that's the really important part of, you know, informing better behavior via abstraction. And it's something that we're thinking a lot of is how do we shine light on these things without also shining like the complex things about them. And when I, I started thinking like that, there's so many things that kind of you see that, I think become a bit more obvious in the sense that your experience of buying an NFT or buying a token on Uniswap is very isolating in the sense that you're doing it single player. That's built on a web two kind of model where you go to a website and you do a thing. You're completely lost in the concept of there's other people also doing these things. And maybe there's another person that went in the Uniswap store, OpenSea uh, Museum. And then you go on Twitter and maybe someone tagged you because you did something on chain, right? We're starting to see a side of that appear and yeah to me it, it really changes the behavior once you make that stuff like once you make the blockchain readable to everyone and abstract it and then its capabilities become much more obvious to me that the, the behavior will completely change it's as if we'll have mm -hmm. like a pre-readability era and a post-readability era because mm -hmm. once you make those things obvious maybe people like invest purely socially now like it's not about looking at the top yields and a percentage you base it off who does an investment, who's the group, who are the accounts, do you trust them, do you like them? And that's that's risk 2.0, it's social risk. And to me, that's what makes it exciting. Maybe it accelerates a lot of good trends, like maybe a race or an increase in pseudonymity or having a veil on anonymity. And then transparency, maybe it, bad actors really can't do anything because now it's transparent, people can see mm -hmm. that they've wrecked in the past or this account has zero history or reputation. I think it accelerates and perhaps even like shines new use cases. I was thinking the other day is like, there's a point in the past where an NFT sale was an obscure long tail on-chain event that was random. Like it wasn't something that it was like this weird thing. Uh, same thing for DeFi. And so to me, what's, what's cool is once you make it readable, it's like, well, those unique long tail use cases or events are now can be seen by by everyone. And so there's probably a ton of them happening right now, like these weird things happening on chain, people experimenting that we just can't see yet. I'd like bet money on there being a NFT sale type thing on chain that will become big in the future that we just don't see because we've built the blockchain very, there's DeFi, there's NFT sales and there's this and there's that. 
versus from the ground up. It's so interesting to think about like chicken and egg almost like what comes first. Is it the understanding of what is on chain, what's happening on chain, which then creates the behaviors, which then leads people to build new apps? Or is it because right now we're coming from it, as you said, the other Mm -hmm. we're building the apps top down, right? But that ground up is coming for sure. Yeah, really interesting to think about. Think Mm -hmm. about that. Okay. Before we wrap, I want to talk a little bit of founder advice. I always love asking founders. I think you learn the most from your mistakes or your fuck-ups. So I want to ask the direct question, any fuck-ups that you've had at Zapper? A fuck-up is a little bit strong. You guys are doing great, so don't take that the wrong way. But what mistakes, what missteps have you had that you can share with us and what have you learned from them? A lot of fuck-ups. One of them was hiring too quickly and firing too slowly. I think a lot of founders go into that route and it's something that, yeah, you need to flip it. And one change is like when you realize you're thinking about someone for like three months nonstop, then it's like, well, it's affecting me and it's affecting like my performance for all that time I'm spending thing on this. I I should actually be spending on this other thing. And I, I think like a lot of founder and like typically like the more agreeable ones, like I'm more on like the agreeable side and I don't like conflict and stuff like that. I'll tend to like just, and then eventually it just eats you from the inside, right? And you see the impact it has on you. And so I think like that's probably one of, one of the top things, you know, one of the, the top mistakes. I think another thing too is I default always to optimism. It's easy to be, oh, things will work out in the future because your default is being positive and optimistic. And I'd say it's like catching you in when you're, you're being to ah, things will work out and it'll be fine. You know, it's probably this, or I'm probably wrong on that thing. Like catch you. And if you see that, you're thinking that on repetitively, then there's probably, there's definitely a problem. Like no founder has regretted firing someone too quickly, mm-hmm. even just firing someone. And so that that's definitely one of them. Another one was, I think there's parts initially where we forced a bit too much on users, new features we change the UI so much so often that it disoriented a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And that's something like I definitely think about more because as you scale early on, I was always in the mindset of changing everything all the time. And also with my previous experience as a startup founder, I didn't have product market fit. So I needed to change things all the time, but I brought that behavior, which is good when you don't have product market fit in post product market fit, changing things all the time. When, I should have, you know, chilled on new UI changes or feature changes. It's like going into your room and your mom changed everything and like cleaned it up and moved things around. <laughs> <laughs> and if it happens enough, you know, you'll be, you'll be pretty annoyed. <laughs> mom, where are my AirPods? Where are my AirPods, mom? Yeah, I think one too is like probably communication or talking, explaining more about our vision for Zapper where it could be confusing to someone right now that's like been through or seen Zapper initially and now seeing it now, like it could be like not super clear how it kind of been that way. And and it's not that a lot of people will not be on Twitter or, or Discord and stuff like that. Like I'm more like there's people in our community that didn't understand that transition. And then once you explain it, it makes a lot of sense. And then they're excited versus like a lot of people thought it was a pivot and I was very surprised to hear that people thought it was a pivot because to me it was a 
more of the same or an evolution. And so to explain that, because and what there is, if there's anything more true than anything else is users and community kind of blend together and you're more with them in the same team than you're not in the sense that it's not like there's a product and a team and then there's a users and separate entities. Like those lines are kind of getting blurred and I could have like done that better. Well, you're going to integrate XMTP as Coinbase and so many others have done in the past few weeks and then you can message all of your users' wallets? Yep. I'll be in their DMs. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. Before we go to a speed round, Seb, I want to give you a chance to tell people where they can find out more about Zapper, how they can join in and use Zapper, how they can follow you online. The floor is yours to show. Absolutely. To learn more about Zapper and see upcoming features, you can follow our, our Twitter account at Zapper underscore .fi. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter. I post leaks, thoughts on product and the NFTs I collect. My uh, username is sebaudet26 if you want to follow me there. And yeah, if you want to track your portfolio, look at what other accounts are doing on chain, Zapper is the place for you. I just got to say, I was, I remember back in, I think it was 2021 when I was into DeFi a little bit and I got, I forget who told me about Zapper, but I connected my wallet into it. And then all of a sudden it was the first time other than looking at Etherscan and seeing what's in your wallet. When I connected to Zapper, I connected my wallet and all of a sudden it just shows you like all the assets you have, but then it also shows you what DeFi protocols you were using and all that. And it just like Mm -hmm. displayed it all. And I was just like, whoa, this is like, it was an aha moment for me. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. So if anyone who's listening that has never connected their wallet to something like this, do it because it really shows you so much. And it's, it's quite fascinating to see everything that's going on in there. So it was a nice aha moment for me. So thanks for that. You feel like that uh, guy in a beautiful mind where like all of the things are floating <laughs> the around and then around, all yeah. of a sudden it's like on the chalkboard and you're like, yeah. well, especially now when there's so many chains, like now that I go back and you look and you've mm-hmm. got optimism and arbitrage and you connect one wall and it just shows all of it. And you're like, whoa. And it totals them all up across each chain. I'm like, okay, this is amazing. So yeah, super cool. Okay. Speed round before we wrap here, Seb, a couple fun questions coming at you. Since you're an NFT collector, what's an NFT you'll never sell? My punk. Easy. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Is it the one on your hat? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's a sweet one. A must read book. Ooh, I forgot the name. It's about financial risk and how a bit to my earlier point about how we humans to speculate and speculation is not something new to finance. It's a behavior that existed forever. I forgot the name, but it's just like a, a bunch of those examples. And then everything makes sense after that. And blockchains make so much sense and it has a different spin on speculation. Otherwise I'd say a classic like Sovereign Individual I think is a pretty good book. Mm, nice. Look up, uh, you find out the name and share it with us and we'll make sure we share it yeah. with our community of the other book. Okay, last question. If you had a billboard that 1 billion people were going to see, what would you write on it? Hmm. I, I need to write something? Mm-hmm. Or it could I be mean, anything. You could show, you could it could show your punk if you wanted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> put any, I mean, put anything that... on the billboard. That'd be pretty cool. I could do like a QR code, like Coinbase did for Super Bowl. You could do that. You what would it go to? Yeah. What would it link to? Yeah, but what would it go to? Whatever NFT I'm trying to get rid of. <laughs> you got a billion people. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. No, probably something Zapper related. What's the tagline for Zapper? We don't have one. Well, we've been trying, you know, a few ones, but I think right now we have like lived the on-chain life. Mm, um, like you guys need the emoji thing that we have for web3 academy pro we have like a pro level to our our newsletter 
and we look on chain and we do like on chain analysis. And so we have the emojis of the, like the eyes that are sideways. There's an emoji that says on, and then there's an emoji of the chains. And nice. so that's like our, our emoji thing. And I was like, man, this is perfect for Zapper. You guys need this. It is. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's one that we like to use is like the chain emoji and the zap like emoji, like the lightning oh, emoji. Because right, right, right. it's yeah. like you mm-hmm. unlock these new superpowers by being. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. Nice. Awesome. So it'll just be chain and the zap emoji on a billboard. One exactly. million people. And then a QR code go. in the corner. There you go. Yeah. For anyone just... that wants to buy my NFC, I want to get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Seb, thanks so much for the time. It's just been great chatting with you and learning all about Zapper and the future of on-chain social. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and subscribe or follow so that you don't miss the next one. While you're at it, there's a link in the description for our free newsletter where we provide timely, and relevant Web3 insights so you can confidently build and invest in Web3. Make sure to subscribe today. One final note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and nothing we say is financial advice. Crypto and Web3 are risky and you should never invest more than you're willing to lose. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.